0: Well, today, we're in our third week of a series called Selah. Um, I, I think that from, from my perspective, and I know that everyone wouldn't necessarily agree with this, but from my perspective, the greatest songs are songs that include a really powerful musical interlude. I've joked about it. Uh, a little bit during the series, uh, you know, I'm most connected to. Um from songs from my youth in the 80s, and there was that really always that really good, powerful guitar solo in the song. And that's the I just remember those moments because it would make the song come alive, you know. It was it was a time just to bask in the words that had been said and the music, and 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 it really, really moves you. Well, we've been using a concept that you find in scripture, you find in the book of Psalms, uh in and, and the book of Habakkuk. And it's a word called Selah. In modern translations, it's oftentimes not even included because it's not so much a word as it was an indication of a musical interlude. Much of the Psalms and and, uh, one of the chapters in Habakkuk are songs, and the way they were written as songs included this word Selah, which told the person performing the song that this was the musical interlude, or this was the pause in the song for everyone to stop and reflect on the words that it said that had been saying and to really allow it to soak in and make a difference in your heart and your mind and your spirit. Well, we've been using this concept of Selah sort of as a backdrop to, to teach about and to talk about Sabbath because it illustrates Sabbath. When we say Sila, um, we're talking about pausing to reflect and rehearse the goodness of God, allowing that revelation, the revelation of God's goodness, to reset us. Because that's what Sabbath does. That's what the process of Sabbath really was all about. God created man in his image, and in the same way that God demonstrated a cycle of work and rest, he invited man to join him in this rhythm of that which is good and that which is holy. So in this series, we've been wrestling together with this concept of Sabbath or Selah. Selah is a socioeconomic system that orients man towards sharing in that which is already good. Now, I've spent the last two weeks just trying to really lay the groundwork around Selah are the groundwork around Sabbath. I, I've spent the last two weeks doing that so we could get into this week and next week where we really explore the economic and the social implications and reality for our everyday lives of what it means to be Sabbath people. Because to keep Sabbath, to live a Sabbath lifestyle has some implications for how we do business. It has some implications for how we handle money and how we look at money and how, how, how money comes into our life and how money flows out of our life, how we interact with the economies of our world. It also has great implication for how we do family, for how our families operate, how we should operate as a culture and a society. Sabbath really was a demonstration of the counterculture reality of God's people to the rest of the world. And so this week and next week, uh, we've already pushed through some basics and some concepts around Sabbath. This week and, and next week, we're going to look at these counterculture ideas our concepts that were true about God's people because they were Sabbath-keeping our covenant-keeping people. When we become children of God or God's covenant people, our entire orientation, our entire motivation changes. Because instead of trying to escape something in our rest or even relying on our own capacity to produce something in our work, we simply get to enjoin and enjoy in that which is already good. That's what is different about us. That's what we've been learning for the last couple of weeks. As God's people, as Sabbath-keeping people, as God's covenant people, we are not oriented toward escape, and we are not oriented towards self-reliance. Instead, as God's people, we know we are already saved, therefore we don't have to try to escape something for salvation. As God's people, we know that we are already blessed, and therefore we don't have to be oriented towards striving to produce blessing. Now, a lot of what I just said in those last couple of statements are very challenging for many of us. It's very challenging for many of our, our personal theologies and the theologies that we've been taught. Because for many of us, we have been taught or we believe theologies that are still rooted in the mindset of slavery instead of being rooted in the truth of Scripture. Selah reminds me that I was created to tend and not to toil. I said this in last week's message, and I wanted to say it again because it's so significant. Selah helps me to understand that I was created to tend and not to toil. Remember Genesis chapter 3, as a result of sin, humanity was now cursed to toil in the soil. And yet God didn't create us that way. He created us to tend the garden. The problem is, in, our, in many of our theology, we are taught that we are saved... And our salvation is about the future. It's about an escape. We talked about fire insurance. Many of us became Christians because we were trying to escape the fires of hell. And so we live our entire Christian life waiting for this one day when we're going to escape. Not understanding that what scripture really teaches us is that it's not just about escaping hell someday. That as followers of Jesus Christ, we escape hell today. We were not meant to live as slaves anymore as followers of Jesus Christ. As a result of not understanding that our freedom is full and it is complete, many of us continue to toil in the soil throughout our life. We live like slaves Monday through Saturday and then we come to church on Sunday and we try to live like free people. And then we don't understand why there is a disconnection in our faith. That truth, the truth that Selah reminds me that I was created to tend and not to toil. That truth, that revelation is what has sustained and carried God's people throughout human history. When they were prosperous or when they were impoverished. When they were were the rulers or when they were subjugated. Sabbath has always reminded them of their place and their source. The reason God told Moses to tell the people to teach Sabbath and to practice it as holy, to keep it holy, to practice it and to pass it from one generation to another to another is because that no matter the state of God's people, Sabbath was always there to remind them of their position as God's children and their provision that God is their source. I told you last week that we were going to talk about Finances today and in particular the financial implications of Selah or the financial implications of Sabbath and the reason I'm going to do that the reason uh, is is because the same confusion and abuse that exists among God's people as it relates to Sabbath also exists around the issue of money and the issue of giving. There are basically three types of people when it comes to Sabbath and when it comes to tithing and giving. There's all kinds of ideas and concepts, but you can sum up most people in one of three categories. There are, first of all, the type of people that we've been talking a lot about. Those who manipulate the Bible and they manipulate what God's Word says about Sabbath and giving to exploit people for their own gain. They take the Bible out of context. They, they mix the truth of Scripture with human wisdom or human systems of wealth creation. And they mix it all together and then they write books about it and they espouse it to get other people to give stuff so that they can be enriched Themselves. There are those type of people. They take the truth of God's word. They mix it together with human ideology. And they, they create a, a, a soup of nonsense. And they pour it out to people. And convince people that it's the truth. So the people will give them all their money. they are those type of people. The same existed in Jesus' day. He and his disciples talked about it. It existed around giving. It existed around Sabbath. And actually those things are all tied together. Uh, It existed and Jesus confronted it and that's that's why he was murdered. We think it's about a lot of things. They murdered him because he was upsetting their system of control. There are another kind of people and these are the kind of people that are usually exploited by those people. There are those who are so captured in the mindset of slavery... They're so hungry by a system that has subjugated them and that has kept them in slavery. And because of their ignorance, and I don't mean that as an insult, I mean just not knowing. Because of their ignorance of God's word and the truth of God's word and their desire to get out from under the boot of slavery, they'll do anything that they can do. And so because they don't understand that God's socioeconomic system and the socioeconomic system of man are different, When those things are mixed together, they fall prey. They become victims of those who would abuse them by twisting God's word to subjugate them. That's the second type of people. And then there's the third type of people. Those who really don't understand Sabbath. Uh, They don't understand uh, the financial uh, implications of God's word, the social implications of God's word. Uh, Oftentimes, what it boils down to uh, they, they get caught up in the fact that they believe that Sabbath and tithing and uh, this the, God's socioeconomic system all, all comes from the law or the law of Moses. And so they dismiss everything in god's word about how we orient our lives the rhythm of our lives in work and rest they they dismiss everything that god's word says about how we handle our finances under the simple explanation well that was all in the old testament or that was all in the law of moses so it doesn't apply to me so i'm going to throw the baby out with the bathwater, and i'm just going to ignore it all and so they ignore They ignore the rhythm of Sabbath life that God has called them to. They ignore uh, the discipline of what God's word says about how we handle finances, how we create transgenerational wealth, how we become those who are the head and not the tail, how it is that we create a system of life and a system of culture that we pass on from one generation to another that is good, that is a blessing. And so those three types of people are all caught in a place Where responding or hearing God's truth about Sabbath, about how we handle our family life, how we handle our finances, really turns our worlds upside down. So we're talking about it today because regardless of which of those three seats you may be sitting in, I believe as we explore God's word, he's going to lead us into greater truth. We're talking about Sabbath because of its inescapable uh, significance to God's people. Sabbath was an imprint of the goodness and the provision of the Father. Remember, Sabbath was established on the seventh day before the law and before the fall. God invited his people to join him in Sabbath because Sabbath said something. It said that I am good, what I have created is good, it's blessed, and that I'm inviting you to join me I'm inviting you to join me in this place of blessing. I'm, I'm making provision for you as your Father, Sabbath, as this, imprint, as this imprint of the goodness and the provision of the Father in heaven who, who had not forgotten his people. This father hadn't forgotten his people. This father hadn't left them out or abandoned them. Regardless of their circumstance or the situation, Sabbath was there constantly reminding them God is good and he's made provision for us. Imagine that. Imagine having a faith that is so strong that it endures regardless of your circumstance. Imagine that. No matter what you're facing, no matter how hard it is, I have a faith that is so anchored in the truth of who God is that my circumstances do not shake me. We've talked about it a lot in this series. That's hard to do when my system of faith isn't really working, though. It's hard to it's hard to do when my system of faith really isn't making a difference in my everyday life. One of one of the threads that, that sort of we've been weaving into the tapestry of, of this truth of Sabbath that we've uh, been learning over the last few weeks is this... Conflict That was going on between Jesus and the Pharisees of his day The the Pharisees had robbed Sabbath of all of its joy And all of its goodness for God's people It had become just another form of the law It had become another way of labor They were so rigid about it They were so rigid about their rules and their rituals And they had added so much to God's command To just come and rest and enjoy what is good They had added so much to Sabbath That it was no longer a reset for God's people it was no longer a blessing. It just wasn't working. But why? Why, why wasn't it working? Yeah, we know uh, they had added this stuff to it. We know that, uh, but, we all, but we know they were following the law of Moses, right? They were just doing what they had been taught. I'd been taught this my whole life, and so now I'm doing this. I'm following the letter of the law. I thought I was supposed to follow the law. Why wasn't it working? Why, if they were following all the rules and if they were doing all of the right things, why was it not working? What about, what about you and me? Why, why does it not work? Pastor Andy, I, I come to church. I pay my tithe. And yet, I'm still dealing with overwhelming anxiety and fear and brokenness, Pastor Andy. I, 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 I do the thing. I give to RFK, and and I don't understand. I'm I'm still dealing with this sickness in my life, Pastor Andy. I, I come to church every week, and i I I go to a small group, and I and I'm being discipled, and I'm doing all the stuff. Why is it not? Why is it not working? What do I do when what I have been taught, my faith isn't working? What do, what do I do when what I have been taught all of a sudden leaves me in the same place of emptiness that everyone around me is, is dealing with during a global pandemic? What do I do when a global pandemic is ravaging the world and everybody around me is so scared of dying, they're losing their mind, and I find myself in a place where I'm behaving and acting irrationally out of a fear of death, even though the faith that I have been taught has taught me that I'll never die because I have eternal life. Why am I afraid of death, even though my faith tells me not to fear death, that my king has overcome death, yet I'm still afraid of death? How is that? What do I do when there's unrest and what do I do when my job or my business or my circumstance has been rocked or turned upside down or I've lost it altogether because of societal upheaval and racial tensions? What what do I do when I find myself embittered and angry at people who are a different color of skin than I am? Because other people around me are embittered and angry. And, and all of a sudden I find myself because we've just, we've just had the unrest and this is going on. And I know the Bible talks about racism and I, I know the top Bible talks about hating your enemy. And yet I've, I've found myself hating my enemy instead of loving my enemy. What do I do when my faith isn't really working? Hello? How is it that I'm a child of God and I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and yet my heart is becoming bitter and cold and hard because the circumstances of slavery just keeps beating me down. The economic system that has subjugated me and held me in this place just keeps beating me down. And the, the, the truth is there is no difference between me and my neighbor who do, does not know Jesus. I'm just as angry, I'm just as racist, I'm just as bitter, hello, as my neighbor next door who doesn't worship God, who doesn't know God. Why isn't my, why isn't my spirituality working? Is it possible? Is it possible because we lack some understanding what God's word really says about what it means to be Selah people, what it means to be Sabbath people, what it means to really be in relationship with God. The Pharisees' Sabbath wasn't working because it had become, a, it had become distorted so much because it was not rooted in the goodness of God. It was rooted in another form of slavery. They were trying to escape One form of slavery by participating in another form of slavery. They were trying one way to escape the bondage that the law revealed to them. They were trying to escape one form of bondage with another form of bondage. Get this, Sabbath that is not rooted in the goodness of God becomes another form of slavery. Pastor Randy, I thought you were going to talk to us about money. What does this have to do with money? It has everything to do with money. See, friend, the way that you and I handle our finances, the way that we handle our finances has to be different than the way those around us who do not know God handles their finances. Jesus had a lot to say about money. He had a lot to say about how our heart dealt with money. Money reveals and how we handle our money reveals what's going on in our heart. Hello? I didn't make that up. You can find it in your Bible. What we do with our money says everything about what is going on with our heart. This is why Sabbath and Sabbath keeping was so significant to the Jewish people. How they handled their finances, the discipline of their finances became the imprint on their heart that God was God, that he was their source and their provision. And it was, the, it was the counterculture, subversive act of saying repeatedly, of disciplining themselves repeatedly to demonstrate we may be in this kingdom, but we are not of this kingdom. We may be in this world, but we are not of this world. Let me give you an illustration of this. You find it in Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11 verses 12 through 17 says this. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season of figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. So Jesus and his disciples were on their way to Jerusalem. See a fig tree, it has leaves, but no fruit. Jesus curses the tree. On reaching Jerusalem, so they keep going. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. As it is written, excuse me, and as he taught, he said to them, is, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. So here Jesus is, on his way to Jerusalem, passes a fig tree that's in leaf but has no fruit because it's not the season for fruit. Jesus looks at the fig tree and says, you're cursed. No one's ever going to get fruit from you again. He goes on in, goes on into the city, gets to the temple, and gets to the temple courts. Now understand, uh, there's a lot, there's so much, and I don't have time, but I, I need to do my best to download this to you. Jesus comes into the temple courts. There's an outer court of the temple, and the outer court of the temple the, it's the it's the court of the Gentiles. The Gentiles cannot go into the inner court. But Isaiah, who Jesus is prophesying from, uh, uh, from the, in this particular passage, has talked about a day in which the nations will come to the temple to worship. It is this prophetic declaration that the kingdom of God wasn't just for the Jewish people, that it was meant to ultimately be for the transformation of all nations. And so it was provided for in the building of the temple, even a court for the Gentiles so that they could come and could participate in the worship of Yahweh, okay? So what had happened was the ruling party of the temple had figured out, hey, guess what? We can make some money off these jokers. And they wouldn't defile the inner court of the temple, but they took the dirty, rotten outer court of the temple where the dirty, rotten Gentiles were, and they had turned it into a marketplace. Because if you were going to come to the temple, you needed to bring a sacrifice. And if you were to come to the temple, uh, you you needed to bring an offering. Yet you could not bring an offering that was the money of Rome or whatever country that you may be coming from because they had the imprint of Rome on there. So you had to exchange your money for temple money. So there were money changers outside who would exchange, and it was just a small fee. For just a small fee, you could exchange your money, your Roman money or whatever it may be. And for an exchange fee, you could get temple Money And then you could give your offering because you couldn't take your Roman money in and give your offering, right? So there was this exchange fee that had to take place. If you had been traveling a long way and you didn't have an animal to bring with you or maybe, maybe as cultures and societies do, uh, the shift was taking place and maybe you weren't a farmer. Maybe you didn't have land or property or animals, but because of the law, you were still required to bring certain sacrifices for certain festivals and certain things. You would go and you would conveniently find people there who would sell to you at a special price price an animal that was perfectly suited for your sacrifice and out of convenience you wouldn't have to bring the animal with you on your journey you wouldn't have to deal with all of its mess you would be able to go there and get there and it had already been temple certified so you knew you it wasn't going to get rejected if you went in it was it was exactly what you would need and you could conveniently pick that up on your way into the temple and it had become an abomination to God's intent for what the temple courts had been intended for, and it had become a way, it had become a way of oppressing God's people, another way for extorting money out of God's people and subjugating those who were seeking God. It was everything opposite of what God had designed the temple for so that people could come and meet with God. It was putting a barrier between people and God. Money and stuff and materialism had become a barrier to keep people from God. That's why when Jesus came into the temple, he was ticked off. This is my father's house. What are you doing? So Jesus went, Jesus on him. Not flowery hippie Jesus. He went lion of Judah, Jesus, on him. And he cleared the temple court. And by doing so, by doing so, he was, he was in essence, he was in essence judging what was happening at the temple. He was drawing a line in the sand. You have subverted the will of God. You have subverted the purpose of God and the purpose of the temple as a place where people will meet with God. You're exploiting exploiting and subjugating people. And you're keeping people out and you're keeping people away from experiencing the presence of God. And then he leaves and they go back. And as they're on the way back, the disciples look verse 20 of this chapter and they see that tree. And the Bible says... In just that short amount of time, it had dried up from its root as a tree, and it was no longer going to bear fruit. I've read this story so many times, and I thought, Jesus, what did you? What, what's the problem with the fig tree? See, here's the thing. Even though it was not season for the fig tree to bear fruit, the indication to a traveler or to a person that a fig tree had fruit would be leaves. If a a fig tree had leaves, it meant that you could count on it to find fruit there. The problem was this particular fig tree had leaves but had no fruit. And Jesus was basically saying, you have the appearance of fruitfulness. You have the appearance of fruitfulness, but you're fruitless. And so you will be cursed. Cursed. He goes to the temple that has all this activity of worship going on, but it's just another form of slavery. And Jesus says, cursed. See, here's what we have to understand. When our Sabbath reflects the socioeconomic system of broken humanity more than the endemic system of the kingdom of God, it is cursed. Here's what I would propose to you today. I would propose to you today that for many of us, our spirituality, our faith, our life journey, our Christianity, or whatever you want to call it, the reason it doesn't work is because much of it is more wrapped up in the philosophy and the thinking and the wisdom of man or our own culture than it is the actual word of God. Many of what the things that I say that I believe or I say that is true about God is more an indication of my own culture or my own wisdom than it is God's word. Many of the bumper stickers and the memes and the slogans that we post on WhatsApp and Facebook that we take out of context and we twist and we turn are more of an indication of a socioeconomic system of man than it is what God's word says that is actually true. And you don't find a greater example of that than when it comes to the issue of money and family. You don't find greater abuse of that throughout church history than around the issues of money and family. You haven't found, you can't find, you'll you'll be so hard-pressed to find greater areas of oppression within the house, within the temple, within the temple courts of God's people than around the issue of money and family. Look no further than The way women have been treated throughout church history. I get to preach this next week, but I just can't wait. Go read Genesis 3 and what God said to Eve about her relationship with her husband as a result of the fall. And we have spent church history... Agreeing with that and behaving like that and doing Genesis 3 curse activity in the church instead of in the church saying, No, 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 that relationship between man and woman isn't gonna look like Genesis chapter 3 because that's the result of the curse. But instead, we've spent church history agreeing with the curse of Genesis chapter 3 in the way men treat women. It's garbage. church history the temple has agreed with the system that is broken and the subjugates people sabbath was an acknowledgement that the people of god operated on a different financial system than the rest of the world i talked about this in week one the fact that they would stop working on the seventh day and rest indicated to the rest of the world they're not playing by the same financial rules that we are The fact that every seven years they would rest their land said to the rest of the world, they're not playing by the same financial rules that we're playing by. The fact that they would go 49 years and then on the 50th year, they would celebrate this crazy thing called year of Jubilee in which, get this, their entire economy was reset every year of Jubilee. On the year of Jubilee, all debts were canceled. On the year of Jubilee, the land was rested. The people rested. On the year of Jubilee, the land was returned to whoever it was originally given to. Every 50 years, if you were a slave, guess what? You were a slave no longer. They would reset their entire economy every 50 years. And that said to the rest of the world, what's going on with these people? You see, you have to understand that Sabbath... That a true seal of life is so subversive to the system of the curse, to the system of Genesis chapter 3, to the system of toiling that the world is established on. Genesis 3 says you only get production based on your labor. Genesis 3 said you only get production based on your labor. It says that you will only get fruit if you work the soil. And then get this, even if you work the soil, there will be a disproportionate amount of work and fruitfulness. Genesis 3 says it's unreliable whether or not you're going to get fruit. You you may get, you may get weeds and, and you may get thorns. Who knows what you're going to get. That's what Genesis 3 says. That's what the system of the world says. It says that your labor and your reward are disproportionate. It says that you can't trust and you can never be stable in your finances and the way you live your life. Because you don't know what's going to happen. A lockdown may take place and you may lose your job. So you may lose your peace because you may lose your job you are in a system that you're caught up and guess what you go you go into debt and you get things and you get credit cards because oh that's so wonderful get a credit card and that just goes on and perpetuates from one generation to another and now we can't pass from one generation to another a blessing to our children because we're programmed to be consumers instead of creators Genesis 3 says you're a programmed to be a consumer instead of being a creator. Genesis 1 and 2, we are creator people. Genesis 3, we are consumer people. God is calling you and I to live not as consumers, but as creators. God's people were taught through the discipline of Sabbath, through the discipline of Selah, that even though their circumstances may be cursed, their financial system that they find themselves in may be cursed, they themselves are not bound by a system of production, by a financial system that is cursed. The system that we're in may be cursed, but we are not cursed. And we are called to be people who do not live as cursed people. The Jewish people, the Hebrew people, God's people throughout human history. Our father is a God of abundance who responds to his children out of that abundance. There is no lack in him. So the motivation and discipline of tithing and giving and handling my personal finances from week to week are not rooted in slavery it's not rooted in survivalism. It's not rooted in consumption. It's rooted in the edemic Edenic economy, the economy of the kingdom of God. But that's not what Sabbath had become in Christ's day. And to be honest with you, it's not what our spirituality, our Sabbath is today. The economy of the temple worship was rooted in the godless economy of the day. It said if you want to get ahead, you've got to toil. It was rooted in the idea that everything I get is based out of what I produce myself. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, let me read verses 6 through 11 to you. It says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, so you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. What do you think he's talking about when he says, as it was written? They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. They've, sold their, they've, they've scattered their seed to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies Seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity result in thanksgiving to God see see lament sabbath meant that God's people had embraced God as their source and therefore could be obedient in their tithe and generous in their giving they could be free in how they lived in their financial reality because they were not rooted in the broken system of man and they say, yeah, pastor, I'm, I'm all about that. I'm all about that. I'm, I'm going I'm to sow my seed, I'm gonna, and God's going to give me a return. No, don't think of, get, stop for a second. Listen to the heart of what was said. Don't get caught up in that first part, that natural law part of sowing and reaping. Yes, it's a reality. We understand that. But get this, in the natural law of sowing and reaping, it says when you sow, you have to toil if you're going to get fruit, right? That's not what this passage says. It says that they sow because they've been given seed. Here's what we have come to in the body of Christ. We've come to the place where we sow so that we can get a harvest. That's Genesis 3. I sow, I toil, I get my harvest. And we've been taught that and we've been manipulated by those who are getting wealthy off of us in a world's system of sowing so that I can get more seed. But that's not what this passage says. It says they sowed, they got a harvest, and they scattered their seed to the poor, and they got more seed. What does that mean? It means they they weren't sowing with the expectation of the law of the economy of broken man in Genesis 3. You don't scatter your seed to the poor and expect a harvest from the poor. I scatter my seed to the poor to bless the poor, not to get anything back from the poor. But they could scatter their seed to the poor because they weren't relying on the harvest from their seed for the next time they were going to sow got to get this so many of us our sowing is directly connected to our expectation of the harvest based on our sowing and in the kingdom of God the expectation of harvest is not based on my sowing it's based on the goodness of God this is why I tithe off of my first fruits it says you know what the God that I serve who gave me seed is going to give me more seed Let me thumb my nose. Let me thumb my nose at the economy of man. Let me show you what my God can do with 90%. Let me go even further than that. Let me show you what he can do when I take my seed and I just give it away to the poor. I don't even need my seed to produce a harvest so I can sow next year. Because the God that I serve is the seed giver. My seed isn't based on me my seed isn't based on me my righteousness isn't based on me my paycheck isn't based on me my bank account isn't based on me get this get this my blessing isn't based on me oh well you got to do this so you can be blessed and you got to do that so you can get blessed hogwash It's a broken system just used to manipulate you and control you and get you to bring your goodies so that people can get rich off of you. It's not what the Bible teaches. It's a twisted version of the Bible that's ingrained with a system of man that's all rooted in a labor for production to get around the weed system. And it's not what God promised and it's not what God created. God created us. In a garden. And he said, tend to what is good. And watch me. Watch me. Watch it work. Watch this garden work. See, here's what the Hebrew people have known throughout history. They may be in a desert. They may be in a prison. They may be subjugated and in slavery. But in their head, in their heart, they return to the Lord their tithe. And when they do, they're imprinting on their heart, my economy is not this economy. When they see a need and they sow a seed, they give. They're not, they're not sowing that seed. They're not giving to get. They've already gotten. I'm covenant. I'm covenant people. I'm God's people. Of pro- oh, you're in jail. Oh, that's okay. I may be in jail, but my kids won't be. You're sick, you're dying of cancer. That's okay. If they take the if this body goes away, I'm going to get a new one. It's okay. It doesn't change anything about who I am and who God is. That's crazy. You people are crazy. Oh, you can call me whatever you want to. I know who I am. I'm a covenant person, and I serve a covenant-keeping God. Destroy this body. It's okay. I'm going to get a new one. Put me in jail, it's okay, my kids will be free. No, 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 they're going to be in jail, that's okay, their kids will be free. No, 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 oh, that's okay, they'll be free. This struggle just keeps going from one generation to another generation to another generation. My kids are going to see me empty my wallet and they're going to say, Dad, our cupboards are bare, bare, why are we giving away all of our seed? Son, let me tell you why we give away our seed. We give away our seed because our harvest isn't dependent on us. scatter it scatter it scatter it scatter let me show let god just show let him show let him show i'll empty it all i'll give it all because he's good he's already called it good he's already called you good he's called your bank account good this is why this is why they could teach the church don't let anybody twist your arm don't give under compulsion Tithe, because it's in your heart to tithe. Give, because it's in your heart to give. Because you know who you are. Because you know who God is. This week, may we walk with greater financial assurance and freedom than we ever have before. Because we know that our God is a God who gives seed to the sower. And we as your people freely scatter our seed to the poor. We sow in faith, not in ourselves, not even in our seed, but in our God who has called these things good. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord.